0: Hello, my Rebels. Today, I take you through a poll by Leger, a pollster who asked Canadians how they're feeling mentally during the lockdown. I found the information very interesting, very sad. Um, I'll go through about six of the slides from Leger, and it'll make you sad. I'm sorry it will, but you you need to know it. Hey, uh, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. So today, for example, I'll show you a bunch of very interesting graphs and charts from this Leger poll. I'll describe them to you in the podcast, but if you had the video, you could see them. And we're also going to interview David Benzies. He's got a great clip with Chris Skye. Again, there's a guy, a feast for the eyes. So let me invite you to get the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. Eight bucks a month, you get the video version of this, plus... Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, Andrew Chapados. So there's a lot there. It's just eight bucks a month and it helps keep us strong and independent. All right, here it is. Tonight, according to a national poll, a lot of people love having their freedoms curtailed. It's February 24th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government is why House, is because it's my bloody right to do so. I really don't want to spend so much time on polls. I've shown you a few polls recently. Polls are useful in a political horse race, We love to hate pollsters, but they generally get it right. Uh, That's why it's depressing to see Aaron O'Toole, the new conservative leader, fall back. Uh, He had no honeymoon after his leadership win, and I have my theories why I've already told you them. But I want to show you a poll today that does talk about politicians, but it's really more about the pandemic. And I find the poll depressing. I apologize in advance. The poll was actually published three weeks ago, but I only read through it now. I'm certain that it's still accurate. Not much has changed in the last three weeks. Actually, one thing, and I'll get to that. But here's what it is. It's from Leger, generally regarded as accurate. Here's the poll. Um, It's the big North American tracking poll. There's a lot of stuff in there about the U.S. that I'm not going to get into because it's not relevant to my points today. But let's look at something very nonpartisan, okay? Let's not look at elections or parties or leaders. Let's look at this, mental health during the crisis, and people can rate themselves from excellent to very good, to good, to bad, to very bad, and the news is terrible. The bottom three categories, oh, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm terrible, uh, that's 69% of people. And look at the breakdowns. It's done by province, which is something that I think is interesting, but it's the age groups that I find the most interesting. Look at young people, 18 to 34. You can see some numbers are in red. Most are in black and some are in green. Black is sort of a a normal number. Red is the lowest number in any category, and green is the highest. So just to explain what those colors mean. So you can see that only 20% of young people say they're in excellent mental health. Only 20%. Just 7% say they're very good. Those numbers are in the red because those numbers are the smallest of any age group. Now look at the other side. 39% say they're good. 30% say they're bad, 30%. And 8% say very bad. So 77% say they're in the bottom three levels. Now compare that to senior citizens, 55 plus, who seem to be doing great, which I wouldn't quite have expected. Only 2% say they're very bad. Only 11% say they're bad. 38% say they're just peachy, excellent or very good. What do you make of that? Well, I think that if you're in your 80s and 90s and in a senior's home, and maybe you have dementia or other serious illnesses, you're probably not answering pollsters' questions. But if you're 55 or 60, you might be retired anyway, so you're not worried about losing your job. You have no kids still in school, so you're not worried about kids not being in school. Your home is probably paid off, so you're not worried about making mortgage or rent payments. You're probably not starting up a business in your 50s or 60s. So really, the lockdown, no worries. But if you're 18 or 20 or 25, your school or your college is canceled, your job is probably canceled, retail, restaurants, whatever you're doing, you're more likely than someone in their 80s to be going to the gym. Well, not now you're not. You might be single. We'll try dating in the era of lockdowns. Where would you go? You can't visit friends. You can't make friends. You're scolded and demonized. You can't even go to the park. That's terrible. Now, 21,000 people have died from COVID in the past year out of 37 million citizens. Average age of death, 82. Average number of comorbidities, three. But millions of young people are depressed and it's getting worse because of the lockdowns. Here's the chart of it getting worse. Now, this isn't broken down by age, so it's all people in Canada who say they're doing excellent or very good. I'd like to see a version of this just for young people. Near the beginning of the pandemic, it was in the mid-40s. People say, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. Fine. Good. But now it's just at a record low, 29% of anyone in any age. And it's getting worse, as you can see. This virus is not getting worse. The lockdown is getting worse. Look at page 27. This is one U.S.-Canada comparison I'd like to make. A total of 29% of Canadians say they're excellent or very good, And it's falling, we just showed you that. But 45% of Americans say so. Why is there such a difference? That's a pretty significant difference. Why are the number of Canadians saying they're doing bad, as you can see, almost double the number of Americans say they're doing bad mentally? Is it because in the US there are 50 different states taking 50 different approaches? And most of the states are open. In fact, only one state in the Union, California, is still harshly locked down, many, most actually, are very open, if they were even closed to begin with. Some states never did lockdown, like South Dakota. Schools are open in almost every state. Travel is not weirdly blocked. People aren't told to stay home and be miserable, at least not in every part of America. Is that why they're not depressed? I don't know. I personally don't value a vaccine, but in the U.S., they're miles ahead of us in terms of giving it to the people who do want it. I don't want it. But those in Canada who do want it can't get it. Is that part of the reason for stress and depression? Just total incompetence by Justin Trudeau? You didn't have 50 states working on it. You had one idiot who's just, you know, has never done anything in his life. Look at page 29. It measures fear of the virus, not fear of the lockdown, of, of the bug. Ontario's people are terrified. The number is in green because it's the highest, but it feels like that should be in red or something because it's the number of people frightened. Alberta is the lowest afraid, 51%. The number who say they're not afraid at all ties in Alberta, 16%, just half that 8% in Ontario. So Ontario is scared and fair enough. They're made to be scared by every politician, every government agency, every journalist, every public health pundit, the media, Young people, they're the least afraid of any age, which makes sense. It's a disease whose average victim is 82 years old. Page 30 of the poll shows those numbers really haven't moved at all. So it's not really the news, I don't think. People were scared briefly in last spring, as you can see, but now it's not any changing facts. I think it's just our personal nature and character. We have been conditioned to be afraid, or we resist being afraid. I think we're becoming two different countries, right? And as a whole, I think we are a nation that's afraid. I think I'm a minority, and maybe you are too, in not being afraid. I mean, you can be a little bit afraid, but you don't have to be panicked, which is what I think most Canadians are. Look at page 32. It's the worst, is the word, sorry, pardon me, is the worst behind us or still to come? That's a good question. say we're in the worst of it now, 21% say the worst is yet to come, only 13% say the worst is over. By the way, the worst is over, statistically speaking. The death rate, the hospitalization rates, our knowledge or lack of it, uh, we're better now than at any time um, during the crisis, uh, except for during the month of April 2020. But look at the demographic breakdown. Albertans are most likely to say the worst is behind us. Ontarians, the least likely. Ontarians are a province of people who are afraid. In terms of age groups, young people the most likely to say the worst is behind us. The least likely to say the worst is yet to come. And they're right. They are not going to get sick. And if they do, they are not going to die. What's the recovery rate for people in their 20s? 99.9%, 0.999%. So let's skip ahead to page 40 here, which matches these questions to provincial premiers. So now we're getting political. To this day, here's the question. To this day, are you satisfied or not with the measures put in place to fight the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic by your provincial government? Uh, I'd be curious what they say about Trudeau because he's the one who didn't stop the flights from China. He's the one that's bungled the the virus vaccines. But they only test the premiers. Now, it's shocking to me but the biggest bully's got the most love. Quebec literally has a curfew, treating everyone like criminals and children. Lago is sky-high, 80%. Newfoundland just canceled its election. They didn't have a single person in the hospital, let alone ICU. But they just canceled showing up and voting. Just Why not? I mean, it's only democracy. They voted during the Second World War. They voted during the Spanish flu 100 years ago. Oh, we can't vote now. The Atlantic loves the lockdown. You know, you can't fly or drive to the Atlantic without going through a quarantine. WestJet and Air Canada have all but stopped flying into the region. And you know, this poll says they couldn't love it more. They're loving it. Ontario is somewhat split. 53% are satisfied with Doug Ford. 43% aren't. There's a split there for sure. Canada's industrial heartland, commercial heartland, the worst lockdown in the country, though it has the lowest case rate in the country outside the very small population, provinces, and territories. Some people obviously love the lockdown. Those who get paid no matter what, the lockdown class. But Ontario's entrepreneurial class is starting to hate it, I think. Alberta is what I want to talk about, though. Only 26% are satisfied by Jason Kenney's approach. 72% are not. That is stunning. And here's my point today. Why? Why is Kenny plunging in the polls? It's not just on, on uh, the pandemic, it's on everything. He's, he's falling. How's that happening? Well, if you listen to the mainstream media in Canada nationally or in Alberta, especially in Edmonton, they will tell you why. There's a socialist explanation for why Kenny's doing poorly. They say that Jason Kenny is cutting too much, not taxing enough, not spending enough, and he's not green enough. And he loves oil too much. Now, I don't think any of that's right. I think that's just the media party's inherent leftism and hatred for conservatives. But in regards to the pandemic itself, which is what this Leger survey measures, the media party would say, Jason Kenney is too lax. He should be cracking down harder on those diners that were in the rebellion. He should be jailing more Christian pastors that dare to open Seriously, I haven't seen a single media party journalist express concern about that pastor who's been sitting in a solitary confinement maximum security jail cell for eight days now just for opening his church while Costco's and Walmart's are all open. So the official class, the lockdown class, the journalistic class wants Kenny to go harder, more brutal the public health bosses, the teachers' unions who want a permanent staycation while they're on the payroll. The entire establishment wants Kenny to go harder. That's why they would say he's unpopular. But I think that's the exact opposite. I think Jason Kenny is getting crushed because Albertans, like Floridians, aren't like Ontarians or Californians. I think they're different. Some people, as I've shown you, like to be afraid. Some people like being in a cage. They feel safe that way, being told what to think, what to do, what to say. Some people love being forced to quarantine and vaccinate. They'll love they love scolding people who don't wear masks, snitching on people who have an extra person over. They'll love snitching on you on your vaccine. They'll love vaccine passports. But I don't think that's Alberta, at least not all of them anyways. Alberta is the youngest province too, demographically speaking, young, free. And I showed you, young people are the least afraid and the most depressed by the lockdowns. Alberta just doesn't believe in the lockdown. But it is locked down nonetheless, unlike young, free Florida, which is living like they're still in the before times. If I were giving Jason Kenney advice, it would be fire the public health deep state. They're always wrong. Their models are never accurate. This virus does what it does, no matter what public policy says. If you compare, say, Sweden and the UK, I'm just picking two jurisdictions, one which barely locked down and one that locked down extremely, or or compare New York and Florida, that might even be a better comparison. There really is no correlation between policy and the virus. It does what it does. So why are you locking down? every prediction in canada by teresa tam has proved false why are you obeying that stuff and we all see the double standards in the lockdown the cheaters the fact that professional sports teams are allowed to do what they want right now in the jasper park lodge the large hotel in alberta hollywood is filming the bachelor there and they're breaking all the rules they've got a special exemption for that but you can't have your grandparents over costco and walmart can open but churches can't politicians and doctors love scooting to the states for a sunny holiday, but you can't. I think a lot of people are sick of it, Albertans especially. Sack them all. Sack this public health elite, unelected, unaccountable. And be free. Vaccines for those who want them. Masks for those who want them. Stay home if you want. But for the rest of Albertans, open up. If I know anything about Alberta that not listen, that, you know, being free, not listening to Teresa Tam, is what would make Alberta free again and would stop the depression and the fear. And you know what? I bet Jason Kenney would rise in the polls too. Stay with us for more with David Manzi. Got my
1: bags and we're gonna go outside we're gonna refuse their stupid test and tell everybody to refuse their stupid test so yeah Hi. Is there a reason you don't have your mask? Yes, because I have a medical condition, so I don't need to wear one. And I'm also a Canadian citizen, and this is a violation of our Charter Rights Section 6 and a violation of the Emergency Act 14.1. So I'm going to be declining your test today. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. No problem. I'll happily do that. Everybody in here, if you are a Canadian citizen, simply deny the test, deny their quarantine, and there's nothing you can do. They cannot stop you, they cannot force you. You are a citizen. You have rights. If you want to wait in the line for two hours,
0: let them push up your nose. Go right ahead. But if you have a brain and you have balls, just say no. That is the incomparable Chris Sky. There's only one guy like him. And he's got a lot of chutzpah. If you look that word up in the dictionary, uh it's it's tough to say chutzpah, but you don't need any words. You can it's Chris. Uh, you become a regular uh, chatter with Chris because he's got a lot to say. He's actually, I mean, he's got a very brash and uh, uh, unusual presentation, the tattoos, the open shirt, inner fitness, um, and the lovely Miss Jenny who often accompanies him. But if you put aside the audacious uh, uh, presentation, he actually has a lot of thoughtful things to say. I'm impressed with his critique of the lockdown. He's a thinking man.
1: Yeah, I think, Ezra, with Chris, it, it, you're getting the steak and the sizzle combined, yeah. right? And uh, you're right. I, I mean, I was talking to our mutual friend, Joe Warmington of the Sun, and I think Chris in the last year has become a true Toronto character yeah. in, in a good way, right? And um, it is amazing. Like you mentioned, uh, my favorite Yiddish word, chutzpah, sheer, a mitigated gall. And when I heard he was going to Turkey and no one's going to tell me to mask up and no one's going to tell me to, to have a COVID test, I'm saying, Chris, have you ever seen the movie Midnight Express, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I don't know if the Turkish regime uh, takes kindly to such a uh, simple disobedience. But um, he was saying that there was more freedom there, incredibly, Ezra, than there is here when it comes to the, the masking issue. And sure enough, he came into uh, Pearson he told me ahead of time, uh, I think all hell might break loose. He was trying to convert people in the luggage pickup. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this. It was try- It was like trying to convert the sheep to turn into Chris Guy Wolves, yeah. right? And uh, no one took him up on the offer, not that night. But he did walk out of the airport. He got an $880 fine, uh, which um, he laughs about because he's been pining to get to court to challenge. I think he's got five or six other $880 fines. And they keep postponing it and delaying it and he wants his trial I mean he he doesn't even want it dismissed Ezra Mm -hmm. he wants to make his arguments in court Mm -hmm. and uh, this is just another one on the pile now what's important that was Sunday night mere like less than five hours before the new regulations came into effect uh, the 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 new international air travel regulations Ezra and um, what is interesting is that it has now been reported we went there on the very first day the morning of, of monday when they went into effect we didn't see anyone bolt we saw people um re, you know going to the hotel even there it was all screwed up uh, a lot of people said it's two thousand an egyptian fellow said it was Four thousand
0: $4, dollars
1: yeah i think because he was with his wife and i don't know why they can't
0: yeah why couldn't two people share and they they live together they will live together yep. they were on the plane together $4,000 is staggering for anyone. I don't and, care who you are.
1: And he just paid for his daughter's wedding in Cairo. Oh so he says, God. I'm now in the poor house. Then we met a man, 1200 for him. What? And then we met a woman. She said $149 a night. What? I I, I know it doesn't make sense. I mean,
0: and Chris Sky <laughs> just left and he got an $800 ticket that he may or may not ever have to pay. That's less than almost every number you just said here. Right.
1: And what's been reported in some media outlets, Ezra, is that since the new rules came into effect on monday so it's been three days now um people are just getting out of the queue they're going see you and the, the cops uh sometimes they talk them out of it but they haven't made arrests so they get an 880 fine and they jump into a taxi now i failed grade 11 math Ezra <laughs> but by my calculation 880 is better than 2000. yeah are you talking about a
0: very interesting um uh I don't know if it's a TV channel or a web program, it's called In Saga, and I had not heard of it before, and I see the mayor of Mississauga on it. I just want to play a quick clip from it. Uh, The reporter seems quite earnest. He seems to have done his background research. He says he confirmed this with... I just want to show a quick clip, um, because the absurdity comes through in this Mississauga-based journalist putting questions to the mayor, who... (laughs) has no explanation either here. Take a quick look at this from InSaga.
2: I'm aware that it's uh, the rules about three days in the uh, quarantine hotel, shall we call it, it only applies to personal travel. Yeah. So if you're actually essential on business travel, it doesn't apply to you. You still have to quarantine if you come back from um, overseas or cross the border, but you can go home and do it. You don't have to go to the quarantine hotel and wait those three days for the, your COVID test. To, I mean, it's just another layer of protection, right? Because presumably you've already proven you're negative because you had to get within 72 hours uh, a negative COVID test to get on the plane, right? And then they're asking for another one once you've landed and you're, you're going to spend three nights to get the test result. But uh, I'm quite sure that applies only to personal travel. Yeah. So, And as you say, so if you refused, you pay your fine and then just leave. That doesn't seem to make any sense. But those are federal rules they're not our provincial rules, right? It's the federal government that manages the airport. and
0: I mean, it's clear that no one knows what's going on. I think you said that one person you saw at the airport called the helpline 15 times. Correct. And was hung up on 15 times.
1: Yeah, it happened to me twice. Never got to a human being. Uh, it You go through, your call is very important to us yeah. and it's a bunch of robots and I only get as far as press one for English, two for <laughs> French and then it disconnects. And uh, by the way, speaking of mayors and speaking to the word of chutzpah, literally on the way down here, Mayor Patrick Brown was weighing in on people getting out of the line and he was saying words to the effect of such selfishness, uh, for skirting the rules. I'm going, this is sneaky. (laughs) Yes. Sneaky
0: Patrick, the one you caught sneaking into a hockey arena that kids were banned from. What an idiot. Oh my God. You know, we're having a good chuckle, but it's, you know, you mentioned this guy from Cairo. I can't imagine like $4,000 after tax money there. I don't care if you're making a million bucks a year. That is painful for most families. They don't clear that in a month after tax. That's devastating. It's There's no science behind it. There's no logic behind it. Why do you have to be in a hotel instead of at home? Why do you have to do that if you're healthy and not sick? There's nothing about it that makes sense other than I don't know, maybe Trudeau's trying to, you know, distract from his vaccine fiasco with a new fiasco.
1: Oh, Ezra, and there's a degree of pettiness and even, I would argue, cruelty. I was up in Sudbury last night to interview Mike. He's a guy we're going to have a video on it in the next uh, day or so. And he works as a lineman in California. He came up to Toronto specifically for a medical appointment. Ezra, Mike has cancer. And he had to go to one of these COVID, the the infamous Radisson. They would not let him go to his doctor's appointment, right? Uh, And that was the only reason he came up here. He spent two nights there. The meals were garbage and in portions that would make a budgie starve. The shower had black mold in it, right? And he's paying this out of his pocket or or he was told to, um, sorry, no, but it wasn't, it was before the the Sunday regulations kicked in. The point is, he left the hotel after two nights, went up back to Sudbury, and the Sudbury police came by and gave him a ticket for almost $4,000 for breaking the Quarantine Act. It, you know,
0: We've got to... I don't know if you offered him legal assistance. Oh, yes. Because we've got to help him. I mean, uh, I know for a fact that if you have a medical reason you are exempt from the court I recall reading that with my own eyes, and I haven't studied his ticket and I haven't studied the most recent regulations, but I am quite sure that even in our mad times, yeah. no judge would say that, that finding a man for leaving for a cancer appointment yeah. is constitutional. And what irks me and troubles me deeply is that you have police who say, sure, I'll do that. Sure, I'll do I mean, and I think that we're still in an era where things shock us. Yep. But we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the lockdown. Yes. When we're two years in, three years in, four years in, Oh, my God. we'll all be numb to this. And the police, those who haven't quit out of disgust, will be the worst of the worst. The ones who love the cruelty.
1: You know, I think in Mike's case, certainly the two Sudbury constables that came up to his uh, abode, uh, they were really messenger boys. I want to know um, who gave the order, who in the federal government instructed Sudbury police, go to this guy in Sudbury, give him these tickets. and um, it, it, Because I think this is very important, Ezra, as well as um, the release the Sudbury Police Service sent out was riddled with errors. They yeah. got everything wrong. Yeah. And of course, the local Sudbury uh, paper there, Sudbury.com, also riddled with errors to the point maybe of defamation. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the other part. Mike's wife was saying, she she was reading the comments that were coming in and saying, you should be tarred and feathered. That's yeah. what somebody said. What, for coming to Toronto to get a cancer treatment?
0: Yeah, well, and that's the thing is that it's not just the police that have lost their uh, moral moorings here. Uh, but... Just because some health bureaucrat says, "Hey, po- hey, copper, run this errand," since when do police take orders from some bureaucrat? And I, I and this goes back to when Toronto public health officer Eileen DeVille sent one hundred police, the riot squad, the riot horses, to a barbecue uh, uh, restaurant, Adamson's Barbecue. I don't think that that was lawful. I don't think that the police take orders from some health bureaucrat and that's happening all the time and i don't think anyone stepped in to stop it i I think it's something we have to look at i'm so glad we're taking or have offered to take this gentleman's case mike from sudbury these are dark days and just when i think oh i'm getting tired of all this fighting i hear a story like that and i think we have to fight extremely hard i think 2021 is the year when the pandemic is not the issue anymore The pandemic is as good as gone. They have herd immunity in the United States now. I mean, the vaccines, for those who want them, America is... Every senior has basically got it in America, those that want it. In Canada, I mean, we're six months behind because we've got uh, a pothead as a prime minister. We, we will eventually catch up. But they're they're moving the goalposts. Now Fauci is saying, oh, even with a vaccination, don't expect to go out. Don't expect to congregate. You might have to wear a mask. So they're... Yeah, still wear a mask. The lockdownism is the point of it it's not the end the means to an end it is the end itself and so as governments become more and more absurd they're going to have to be more and more vicious because otherwise people will just say what are you doing and i i am not yet hopeful about things i see some flickers of hope in alberta where you have the diner rebellion in mere alberta a success where you have this pastor in prison. Now you might say, how is that a success? Well, it's, I think he's winning that staring contest with the government. You see flickers of hope there, but for every flicker of hope, you see uh, lights go out in the rest of the country. We are in the darkest days yet.
1: Uh, You know, and I just want to say something else. The punctuation mark on the Adam Skelly uh, saga Ezra is the fact that not only did he have all the king's horses and all the king's men come to his abode, but weeks later he was sent an invoice for a hundred and eighty-seven thousand. And secondly, you mentioned Eileen uh, Eileen e- e- uh, I keep calling her Corella uh, through a uh, a, a mental uh, breach. But the the thing is, what I've noticed Ezra in during this almost year of the pandemic is that public health officers, regional health officers. Um, the average Joe, the average Jane, had no idea who they are. They are now household names, yeah, yeah. and I think they are thriving on this power, oh, yeah. on this celebrity. Oh, yeah. They're six figures all the time. Yeah, they are unelected. They are non-accountable, and uh, like you've said before, they got a little taste of totalitarian power, kind of like the taste.
0: Yeah, you know, I it, I cringe every time I hear one of these health officers called. Alberta's top doctor, Toronto's top doctor. (laughs) No, the top doctor in Toronto is probably some world-leading physician of some complicated brain surgery or heart surgery who has done transplants and has amazing patient success and is beloved. And that's a top doctor. Um, Another top doctor might be a researcher who's discovered something. A top doctor could be someone who's just had a 50-year career and has, you know, without an error, uh, you could even say a teaching doctor, but just because someone is a politician with the letters MD after their name, they are not a top doctor. In fact, they're probably um, not uh, ambitious enough or sharp enough to have succeeded where those other top, true top doctors were. They still get the three or $400,000 a year salary and, and they are simply authoritarian. There's a world of difference between a doctor with a patient who says, how can I help this person? Yeah. Let me think about this person versus a public health doctor who treats people as interchangeable ants in an ant colony. There couldn't be a further thing from actual patient-centered medicine than these public health doctors. Oh,
1: and I think what makes your point the best was that hot mic moment, I think it was in December, with the number two doctor in Ontario, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, who was caught in a hot mic moment saying, oh, they just give me these papers to read. I I don't know what to make of it. Well, first of all, who is they? I thought you're the they. I thought you're the medical top doc uh, telling the people. And uh, how does she have any credibility after that?
0: Well, I don't think she had any credibility other than the station of her office. She's yeah. a politician. And um, in, in my monologue tonight, I showed that, unfortunately, a lot of Canadians love it. They love being abused. I mean, I always thought, when I first heard what s was, I thought, who would enjoy being abused? That can't be a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's cruel enough to inflict pain, but what kind of person would actually say, I want that? Yeah. But now I see that most Ontarians... Ontario is the worst, but Quebec too. They love being abused by politicians, and I, I don't like that one. But I, I'm embarrassed for people who say I love the lockdown.
1: You know, um, you've given me some insight as of right now as to why Fifty Shades of Grey is such a multi bestseller. Uh, it's terribly written. I mean, I, I didn't get past a few pages. And um, but so you got to ask. Is it an s and fetish or is this um, Stockholm syndrome where you um, uh, fall in love with the kidnappers and, and, yeah. and go on their side? I, I don't know.
0: It's something like that. It's definitely a psychological kind of group mania. And the way face masks have been transformed and has have transformed all of us is something that will scar people, especially children, for decades to come we got to keep it there thanks very much for coming on the show good you're doing great work out there i love to see all the videos folks stay with us more hey welcome back on my show last night gary writes not only is tam compromised but her boss is too they both need to be fired Yeah, I don't understand how you could have an employee who is swearing oaths of loyalty and confidentiality to another employer on the same subject matter she's supposed to be working for you. How's that even work? Debbie writes, when was she voted in by Canadian citizens? Well, that's the thing. None of these public health officers were voted in by anybody. And politicians are all too happy to trot out these unelected, unaccountable doctors, top doctors. They're not top doctors, they're political bureaucrats with an M.D. Catherine writes, And what is O'Fool doing about this? Oh, yes, I forgot. He got rid of Derek Sloan and demoted Polyev. Aaron O'Toole has not yet spoken out against these COVID jail quarantines. He just hasn't. I think that's really noticeable, don't you? I mean, if, if you won't stand up against those, which make no medical sense, which treat people cruelly, which are clearly unconstitutional, if you won't stand up against that and you're called the official opposition, I don't think you're gonna stand up against anything. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.